we are on week three of just a brief series working our way through the Lord's Prayer. And so you can see the text for you. Uh, it's, it's a little bit different than the form that we pray week after week, and I'll read it for us um, right now. And so this is, this is uh, from the, the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' greatest sermon, Matthew 5-7. through 7. This is in the section on prayer, and this is how Jesus teaches us to pray. This is the word of the Lord from Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This has been the reading of God's word. Please be seated. I'm going to make a big assumption this morning, and it may not be applicable to everybody, but I I think it's a a relatively safe assumption, which is that the Lord's Prayer, again, really well-known prayer, uh, best-known prayer uh, in in the world, population-wise. I I think that's pretty safe to say. The assumption I'm going to make is that this petition that we're looking at this morning, this is the very first request we've come to, of hallowed be your name is the hardest saying to understand. It's a hard way to begin the prayer. It's hard for us to get our minds wrapped around what does it mean to come before God and say hallowed be your name. After all, we don't go around hallowing very much, do we? And so what this request, I think, does for most of us is it gives us a a sense of formalism. The way that I think of hallowed be your name is Jesus is teaching us to pray. So we want to listen. That's the point I've been making the last couple of weeks is we need to stop and, and heed Jesus as he instructs us to pray. But doesn't this kind of feel like a stiff arm? What does it mean? Can I grasp what it means for God to hallow his name? I want to do a little thought experiment with you. Uh, this is something I've been thinking about all week. You know, for some of us, I, I know not all of us, but, but for, for some of us in this room, we have sweet memories of going to our grandparents' houses. Uh, the, the invitation welcome that we received there. Uh, we know where the board game closet is. We know the food that we're going to get from, from, from grandma. Maybe we weren't allowed to have very much junk food, and so we come in and grandpa says, here's the Dr. Pepper, don't tell mom. It's, it's, it's warm, isn't it? It's welcoming. It's sweet. It's fond memories that develop. Well, let me paint you another scenario, and this may be true of some, some of you as well. Maybe you had grandparents who just frankly weren't very good with kids. Uh, they were very formal, and they were very reserved. Um, there was no child-proofing in their home, and so everything was just be careful. It was yes, ma'am, and yes, sir. And here's the thing. It's not that they were awful grandparents. It's not that they're terrible human beings. The point is, they just weren't warm. So you don't have those warm feelings. Now, my contention, and this analogy or thought experiment will break down very, very fast, but my contention is that prayer should be much closer to the first scenario. It's warm. It's welcoming. We come to, to lay our heads down and rest. But maybe it feels a lot more like the second. It feels formal. And so hallowed be your name, right? That feels detached from our emotional life. It feels detached from our love and affections. Uh, and, yet, and, and, this, and so this prayer presents the stiff arm. Hallowed be your name is at risk of keeping us at arm's distance. Do you ever feel this way? Am I crazy? Am I making this up? I don't know. Maybe I am. 
If I'm right about this, though, it means that we do have some work to do because I think we know enough about Jesus that if he's going to teach us to pray to our Father, he does not want to keep us at arm's distance, does he? So what is he doing in teaching us to pray this way? Well, I think his intention is totally the opposite. This prayer from the start is intended absolutely to draw us into the greatness and glory of God. We're always at risk of having our prayer life become too mundane. And the problem with our prayer life being too mundane is not that God is bored, it's that we get bored and we stop praying. If our prayer life is just uh, laundry lists of needs that we have, and we're going to come to needs that we have. That's a huge part of prayer is bringing our needs before God. But Jesus begins his prayer by saying, no, you need to be drawn into who God is. You need to really grasp that your greatest need as you go into prayer is your need for God. And maybe I'd put it this way. Your greatest need is for God to be God in your life. And so this is not a buttoned-up formal prayer. I think instead it's an invitation to see the greatness of God, and that's the God who draws us near, not one who keeps us at bay. Hallowed be your name is an invitation to see life in technicolor. I mean, don't your prayer lives often feel kind of like the the sepia-toned Kansas of Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz? And maybe hallowed be your name is the invitation to open the door to see something bigger, to see something more vibrant. Well, there are three things we do when we pray this prayer for God's name to be hallowed. You can see these listed in your bulletins. First of all, we're going to look at how we pray for our world to be rightly ordered when we pray for God's name to be hallowed. Secondly, we pray for our hearts to be rightly ordered when we pray this prayer. And then finally, we pray for our lives to be rightly ordered as well. All right, so our first point, when we pray, hallowed be your name, we are praying for our world to be rightly ordered. Now, a couple of questions we need to ask before we we get too much further is, what does it mean to pray that God would hallow his name? Keep in mind, every petition, God is the one who has to work. So even beginning here with his hallowing of his own name. But we have two issues, right? Why are we praying about God's name and what does it mean to hallow the name? Why are we asking God to do something about his name? In the book of Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible, God's name is celebrated, it's praised, it's appealed to, it's cried out to approximately 100 times. So let me just give you a sampling. Sing praise to the name of the Lord. Some put their trust in chariots and horses, but we put our trust in the name of the Lord our God. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his holy name. We will give thanks to your name forever. O God, save me by your name. Blessed be his glorious name forever. And you can get about 93 other occurrences. We are praying to God's name. Why? Why the name? It's because prayer is not a shot in the dark. Prayer is not crying out into the void. One of the most popular prayers in, in like TV and Hollywood uh, and, and in movies is this prayer. I know, I know you've heard it countless times. God, if there is a God. But that's not prayer. No, prayer is to the name. Prayer involves confidence because it's to the name. And, and what this means, biblically speaking, is God's name is how God gives himself to his people. God's name means his character. It means his promise-keeping character. This is an appeal to his covenant faithfulness. So there is a specific God, a particular God who is addressed, and that God gives himself to us by making promises. 
You could say prayer is God revealing his character to us and then throwing it back on us and saying, now come rely upon it. Think back to Exodus 3 when Moses is commissioned to go into Egypt and demand the release of the Hebrew slaves. This is where for the first time we, we get why God has this name that he is referred to. And so God identifies himself to Moses in the burning bush. And he says, I am the God of your fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses receives the commission, and then he circles back and he says, Now I understand that you're the God of our fathers, but the people are going to ask me your name. Who sent me? And God responds, You tell them, I am sent you. I am who I am. I'll be who I will be. Existence. I mean, it's undefinable. It's Yahweh. That's the name. That's the one who sent you. So God gives his name to Moses. God makes a covenant with the people of Israel, and he promises, I will answer you when you call. God gives his name to his people so that he might be known and relied upon. And so what's important here is name is not characterizing distance, is it? But nearness. This is something that you can grasp. It's a name. You can rely upon it. And so the idea here is that Moses is face-to-face with this personal, peculiar God who acts, who does things. The Lord heard the cries of his people, and he acted. And so every prayer to the name is to call upon the Lord to act according to his promises. God, this is who you are. I'm not making this up. This is who, how you've revealed yourself to be. Will you act according to your name? Now, what does it mean for us to pray that God's name would be hallowed, right? So that's why we call the name. That's why God has all these prayers in the Bible that are are to the name that we keep. But but what does it mean to hallow his name? Now, this is not a word we use, right? We don't hallow things. The simple definition would be that God's name would be sanctified. But does that help very much? Probably not, right? What does it mean for God's name to be sanctified? So we have to keep kind of unpacking what does this word mean in a way that, that we can grasp. And it means that God's name would be set apart, which is what sanctification means, setting apart. Uh, Further, it means God's name would be esteemed, that it would be exalted. Uh, I think it means this more than anything. God, would your name, will you put your name where it belongs? Will you be where you belong? That's why the first point is that we pray for God's name to be hallowed. So what we're we're looking for is our world, uh, which, which is messed up to be rightly ordered. A key indicator that our world is as broken as it is, is first of all because God's name is not hallowed. Prayer for Jesus is primarily crying out for help to God. Paul Miller says the heart of prayer is learned desperation. One of the reasons we don't pray very much is we don't actually realize just how desperate our condition is. And so hallowed be your name, it sounds formal, we understand that, but what it should sound like is need. It's a confession of inability. It's a confession of weakness. It's a dependence upon God's strength. So what we do is we come to prayer with our sin. We come with our weakness, our needs. Think of all of the petitions that you can imagine. What, What do you pray for before God? We come with our hearts broken. We come fearful. Um... Fearful about society, fearful about our children's futures, both immediate and distant. We pray for our country. We pray for Christians and and countries as far away as Ukraine. We pray for this drought that we're in. Prayer is this confession that we are a mess. Is there ever an end to the, the requests that we bring before God? Not if we're paying attention. 
Prayer only makes sense in the context of a fallen world. Did you ever think about that? There was no praying in Eden. He didn't need it. There was no praying that God's name would be hallowed in Eden because Eden was perfectly hallowing God's name. You can do this with all the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. And what you realize is that in, in paradise, prayer is not needed. And in the new creation, prayer will not be needed. There will be no need to call out to God because he will be right in front of us. And so what prayer is, and maybe hallowed be your name is our first uh, uh, key into this idea. Prayer is this acknowledgement right from the start that we are a mess and that our world is a mess. That we are in a broken world and we need God to take his rightful place in this broken world. We are both victims of its brokenness and we are perpetrators of its brokenness. And so this prayer begins with a plea, God, you have to be first. You have to be exalted. You have to be set apart. All of creation uh, gives glory to this name, right? The animals give glory to God's name. Waterfalls do. Trees give glory. But we human beings have this unique task. Our calling is to say it and to sing it and to pray it. And so hallowed be your name provides a proper framework and foundation for these needs. It's basically saying, God, you have to be big because you are great, you are mighty, you are wonderful. And the problem with the world, the problem with my home, and the problem with my own heart is that God is far too often peripheral. He's peripheral nearly all the time, isn't he? God's just an appendage to the real world. I'm a Christian, which means it's just another label I can affix to my identity. It's just another something to put in my Facebook profile. And Jesus says, no, no, prayer has to start with, with, with increasing who God is. Jesus says, you can't even do this yourself. You have to pray, God, would you hallow your own name? One writer puts it this way. He says, you know, this is the petition that supersedes all other petitions because we don't pray for our silly little empires. We pray for God's name. And is there anything more countercultural than that request? Is there anything more radical? Is there anything more free? And so the prayer begins here because it speaks to what is biblically speaking the one necessary thing that we need, which is God. Hallowed be your name is saying, God, I need you. We need you. All right, so the prayer, first of all, is about having our world rightly ordered. What is the problem with this world? A lot of answers, but right at the top. In fact, I think the first answer is God's name is not hallowed. Secondly, though, it's not about out there, right? It's about our hearts. Our hearts need to be rightly ordered when we come to pray, and that's our second point. So first, right, we're, we're acknowledging our need for God. We're, we're acknowledging that we are a mess, that the world is a mess, that we need God to be the biggest, uh, and, and then we come and then we explore our own hearts with prayer, and what we recognize is that prayer must find its fuel in worship. Okay, so the, the, the world rightly ordered says we need God, and then uh, our hearts rightly ordered, what we need is praise fueling our prayer lives. Our prayer has to be fueled by praise and delight. Hallowed be your name is about our own heart realignment, right? This speaks to the idea of God being peripheral in, in our lives and, and this prayer recentering us, realigning us. Now, here's the problem, right? Because maybe we can nod our heads and say, that sounds great. Praise is the fuel of, of, of prayer. But here's the problem um, that I know you can relate to. At some point in your life, 
all of us have this experience. Worship and praise can feel like the most unnatural thing that we do. It can feel hard and strange, and it often is. Uh, maybe when, when you, you, you praise God, it often feels like you're wearing someone else's clothes when you do that. because It just doesn't fit. It doesn't feel natural. In fact, what feels really natural is ignoring God. That feels the most natural thing in the world. Me being the center of the universe, now that feels like the most given thing in the world. Why doesn't praise feel natural? I love this line from John Webster. He says, we praise God in the shadow of our fallenness. Now let's apply that to prayer. I would say it this way. We also pray in the shadow of our fallenness. Because our prayer life is caught up in the process of our being transformed by the Holy Spirit. But it's a process. Like we are all born completely self-absorbed, right? That, that's how we are born is as human beings, with disordered appetites. And so discipleship and faithfulness, it's this long journey of being slowly conformed into the image of Jesus more and more. God is at work bringing us from being self-absorbed to God-hallowing. That's a miracle. That's not an instant process. And it's not a process that will be completed until we're with Christ in glory. It's also not a process that we have control over. Remember, we are asking God to hallow his name. God has to do this work. Think of Psalm 51, 15. Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. It's as if sin silences our lips. And God by his spirit bestows the ability to pray, hallowed be your name. Prayers of praise might be hard, but they're essential. They speak directly to why we exist as creatures before God, our creator. We are living out our purpose before God when praise is fueling that prayer life. Think of Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer one. What's man's chief end? What is humanity's purpose? It is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so prayer has to begin with delight. We have to enjoy God. If our prayer lives aren't fueled by delight and enjoyment of God, if prayer doesn't help us to grasp hold of God's glory and in turn create hearts with affection for God, what will happen to our prayer lives? They will flame out. And boy, do we all know what that feels like to have our prayer lives just completely flame out. So what we need is a spirit, not of duty, but of delight. We need a spirit of sonship, not slavery. You might even see a logical flow through this prayer. Because we pray to our Father in heaven, and that conveys his goodness and his greatness, his mercy and majesty, his love and his loftiness. And, and, and holding those two together, uh, we desire to have this God's name exalted. This God's name praised. Because he's worth it. If you've been around for any time at all and, and heard me talk about prayer, there's usually one thing I say, which is pray the Psalms. I don't know how to pray. Well, you, there's a script for us in the Bible. What words do I use? Well, God gave us some words to use. Let's, let's, let's pray the Psalms. And remember, 100 times we're being taught to honor God's name through the Psalms. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And so when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Psalm 8. 
or maybe Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. And so we worship God because he's worthy. He's our creator. He made us. He's the God who makes promises to us. Prayer begins with praise because in so doing, we are rightly living before our creator. Now let me offer a second reason. Maybe an even more gripping reason. We live rightly, not just before our creator, but our savior, our redeemer. And talk about an additional, powerful fuel injection. We looked at question one of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, jumped to question 98, what is prayer? And the answer is prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for the things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. And so prayer begins where, where we've been talking about prayer. It begins in God's goodness and greatness. He is able to intervene. He is able to do what we ask, which is why we bring our desires to him. It's why we ask him to act in our lives. And then the answer also ropes in another crucial part of prayer. as heart-orienting work. We come with confession of sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. And so especially when we're thinking about praising God through our prayers, God's name is great because God's name is saving. To pray hallowed be your name is to acknowledge not only the majesty of God, but his mercy as given and received in the gospel of his son who has a name, Jesus. God's name is set apart because it is a saving name. Listen to this well-known passage from Philippians 2. It's familiar to many of us. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and listen to this, and the Father bestows on him what? A name. A name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now I've mentioned before, every petition we will come to, that is a beautiful portrait of Jesus. He perfectly hallowed God's name. A praise and prayer flowed through him like blood flows through his veins. And he did that for us. For the self-absorbed. For those who'd rather make a name for themselves. And he did it for love. And the Father bestowed on him the name to be praised because it is the name and the only name that saves. And so prayer is, is nothing other than the gospel exhaled. Prayer is the gospel exhaled. We, we inhale, we take in all of the riches of Christ and the depths of his saving mercy, that he took our form, that he suffered under the weight of the world, that he bore my sins that should condemn me, that he took my judgment and condemnation, and the Father then hallows the Son and bestows upon him the name that saves. Prayer is the gospel exhaled. It is established, it is fueled, it is grounded in thankfulness for what God has done in Christ. Now, this is not a new law I'm making. 
Jesus teaches us to pray, and it's, it's not as if we have to, to, to check off every box in our prayer life. I, I, I want you to hear, you know, desperate times call for desperate prayers. And what's so beautiful is what, what makes those desperate prayers effective uh, is, is the same exact reality, isn't it? It's the gospel that assures you that prayer isn't offered into a dark void, but to your Father in heaven. But it's in the non-desperate times that it, it, that's where we orient our prayers at the foot of the cross. That we pray, hallowed be your name to the God who not only made us and keeps us and preserves us, but he is the one who saves us. All right, so hallowed be your name. A world rightly ordered, because the world is a mess. It's off. God, your name be hallowed. Our hearts rightly ordered. If, if, if prayer um, will be what it is intended to be, it has to be fueled by praise. And then thirdly, when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're praying for our lives to be reoriented. This, this in particular has to do with what we do. What we do. Uh, this petition is closely related to the third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That commandment, I believe, uh, has very little to do with bad language. That's kind of right doctrine, wrong text. There are plenty of other passages in the Bible that, that should have us watch our language. Not the third commandment, necessarily. That's a, that's, a, that's a later application. The primary application is, you bear the name of God. Are you going to live in, in accordance with that identity that has been bestowed upon you? Number six, benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. Right before then, we're told, Aaron places God's name on the people. God sends his people into the land so that they would bear his name. If you've been baptized, you bear a name. We honor God's name, we set God's name apart, we hallow God's name when we live according to the identities that we wear, that we bear in our baptisms. We were baptized into a name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, so the question is, uh, will we live according to that calling that we bear that name? Now, there's nothing you can do to earn this name. Uh, if your only hope in life and death is the person and work of Jesus, the good news for you is that you can't lose that name. You can only by God's Holy Spirit and a lifelong pursuit of, of thankfulness live a life in word and deed that bears witness to get this, the truthfulness of that word. We can live a life that bears witness that, that God's word that he speaks is true. And so hear this, beloved. God's holy name is yours in Christ. You've been saved by that name. You've been baptized into that name. And that is the name that will never pass away. And because that name will not pass away, your name will not pass away. The calling, the challenge for us is to, in service of this name, go out into this world and out into our communities and into our families. And we join God's work that he's already doing in setting apart his name. And this means that we have this task and we have, the, we have this question that we have to consider together. Um, are we instruments for the hallowing of God's name or are we obstacles to the hallowing of God's name? If you are of a certain age, and, and this is mainly, a, it, it has to do with age, it has to do with experience, how long you've been a Christian. You are a Christian. You are here this morning in church uh, because you believe that, that Jesus is that good. That's the reason. Um, the, the only good reason to be a Christian is because it's true. I believe that with all my heart. Jesus either rose from the dead or he didn't. But the reason that you come and you, and you, and you connect with the church uh, is because you believe Jesus himself is, is that good and that true. 
and that beautiful. Because experiences in churches, experiences with other believers, would have driven you away long ago. And who have you driven away? Who have I driven away? But it's because he's so good that not only do we strive to obey him, uh, to be part of his family that he's building, but you trust his word. We grieve, we lament a church that falls short. We, we grieve and lament our own falling short that hurts others. What harm, what obstacle have I created to the witness of Christ? But we also must spur one another on in, in grace and in the spirit to continue to be instruments and to strive to be instruments of God's hallowing in our world. And so when we're angry and we're bitter and we're cynical people, we resemble nothing of the God who has given us his name. When we're greedy, miserly, selfish, inhospitable, we don't look a thing like the name that we have. When we're unforgiving and exacting in our need for interpersonal justice, our lives look nothing like the God whose name is upon us. When we say, I belong to me, it's my body, it's my life, it's my autonomy, we look nothing like the God whose name we bear. But what I want you to hear is that this idea of bearing God's name has to come from a deep place of security because God's name is hallowed when it comes from that deep place of security because God's name is hallowed when we celebrate the cross. God's name is hallowed when we know our need and dependence upon Christ. God's name is hallowed when the poor and oppressed are cared for in the name of Jesus. God's name is hallowed when Jesus is worshipped. God's name is hallowed when the world sees a church of different generations and socioeconomic backgrounds and races and genders breaking bread together in the name of Jesus. God's name is hallowed when, when the world sees the church pursue with integrity biblical righteousness and maybe even hates the church. God's name is hallowed. His name is hallowed when in this body, this body is sustained and united in our common need of that one name. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us sinners. When we forgive, when we bear with each other in love, we are, a, we are, we are wearing the name that's been placed upon us. When we count others more uh, important than ourselves, we're doing justice to the name that we carry. When we're generous with our time and money, we're doing justice to the name that God has given to us. When we act with compassion toward the needy, when we are imitating Jesus, living in step with his name that we bear, we're hallowing God's name. And again, hear this word from a place of deep security. God's name is hallowed when it comes from this place of knowing his work for us. The name that we're called to bear in our speech, in our deeds, that is the name that is saved. And so we pray together, hallowed be your name in our world and in our hearts. And we pray, hallowed be your name in our lives. It would be shaped according to this name that saves. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord, would that prayer be a confession? Would that prayer be something that bulldozes any kind of separation between us, your children, and you? Lord, would that petition that we bring to you in whatever words that we use identify the fundamental need that we have, which is for you to be big, which is for you to be 
primary, which is for you to be esteemed and exalted, for you to take your rightful place in our world and in our hearts. Lord, would you do that work? We come before you as a people that are, are so needy, so dependent upon you, and yet we're grateful that you are the name that keeps us. We're grateful that you are the name that saves us from our sin, from ourselves, and from our constant struggle as, as, as sinners to make a name for ourselves when our name is established in you. Lord, would you do the work that Jesus has taught us to pray that you would do in this world and for us? And we pray this in his name. Amen.